Welcome back to Podcast Radio. I'm Andy. I'm Joe. This week is Weird War Stories. And what's weird about this is I was, you know, I had told you about it, you know, as one of my subjects. Yeah. And when I went out to eat with my brother, he goes, oh, I got you this book, Tales from the Grid Square, Volume 1, Stories of Paranormal Military Experiences. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> nice. So I was like, oh, cool. So Nick Orton, if anybody's interested, like I'm going to read a few out of here. And if they are like, oh, man, that's good. Um, Nick Orton, O-R-T-O-N. I'll put that in the notes. Um, so you can click on it, but this is just volume one. So I don't know how many volumes he has of war stories, um, from the military. Not all of them are war. Some of them are just training and stuff, but all military things. Cool. Very cool. Uh, I was just looking up like the historically, what are some of the biggest ones and people have probably already heard of these, but have you ever heard of the, uh, angels of Mons in uh, world war one? Okay. No, I haven't. Well, I'll just uh, describe it briefly, and then uh, some firsthand accounts from people that were there. Um, on the blood-soaked battlefield near Mons, Belgium, in August of 1914, the heavily outnumbered British soldiers were facing a crushing defeat. At the moment when all hope seemed lost, a group of angels appeared to the British. Ooh. And uh, when they appeared, the, the British ended up uh, overcoming these. They were outnumbered and I guess outgunned and they ended up defeating them. Really? Yeah. So um, accounts from witnesses that were there in the battle, David Ludlow offers a report of a conversation with his grandfather who fought in that battle. William, who was at the Battle of Mons, my grandfather said, He saw this angel, 20 feet tall, outspread wings, hands behind her, holding back the lines. He could see her face plainly, beautiful, and that's how he described it. Wow. Uh, An English nurse, Phyllis Campbell, wrote of tending to a wounded soldier who told her it's true, sister. We all saw it. First, there was a sort of yellow mist, like sort of a rising before the Germans as they came to the top of the hill. The next minute comes this funny cloud of light, and when it clears, there's a tall man with yellow hair and golden armor on a white horse holding his sword up and his mouth open like he's given orders. Like, wow. Slaughter him. That's cool. <laughs> and then the last uh, witness was another wounded soldier told her nurse that he saw quite plainly in midair a strange light which seemed to be quite distinctly outlined and was not a reflection of the moon or were there any clouds in the sky. The light became brighter and he could see quite distinctly three shapes, one in the center having what looked like outspread wings. The other two were not so large but were quite plainly distinct from the center one. They were above the German line facing us, and we stood watching them for about three quarters of an hour. So, Man, that's cool. Yeah, it's like not a quick thing, you know. A lot of the accounts are they watched these angels in the sky for a long time. There was no way to confuse to say, "Oh, it was a light," or "It was this." I yeah, mean, you sat there and s- after that long. Yeah, you that know? long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and you got all these descriptions of uh, detailed uh-huh. descriptions. Yeah, really good. Um, 
but that's probably the most famous one. And I've never heard of this. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I had ever heard of it either. You know, if I did, I totally forgot about it. Right. But that was World War One. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. What are you thinking about this book you just mentioned? Have you started it? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I found some in there that I thought were pretty neat that you might like. So, okay, Nick, I was looking him up as you said it, Nick Orton. Mm-hmm. So he's ex-military, and he just does, he has a podcast called Tales from the Grid Square, and he just recounts military soldiers' experience. You know, whether it's in the United States when they're training or overseas, and then he'll um, read their um, accounts word for word. Oh, okay. That's and That's cool. his whole podcast, Tales from the Grid Square. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good different one if you want something different to listen to. And it's all military. You know, they're not, they're not uh, ones to, hey, let me just make up some funny, you know, bullshit. Yeah. And put it out there because then you're. You ain't going to be the um, popular guy in your squad or platoon. You're going to probably get bars of soap in the old pillowcase. (laughs) (laughs) Soap party. Well, I I saw a show the other day where they were interviewing an ex-Navy SEAL about a cryptic that he had seen. And it, it's it's funny you said it that way because and while they're talking about it, he saw this, he recorded this sound, it's a scream, it's this, it's that. They're kind of looking at him like, really? And yes, he is the, the person's former Navy SEAL. Oh, can we hear it again? Can you send that to me? It just created so much validity behind mm-hmm. it because you're the military. Yeah. You know, so it makes you wonder, I wonder how many people abuse it or really take it for what it is. I mean, these guys are in the military. They're not going to sit here and make stuff up to tarnish their... Oh, yeah, and most of these, it's like, I never told anybody this. They didn't share it when they got back. Uh, or occasionally, some somebody would have an experience, get back to where their um, spot is to meet up, and the other person would run in frantic. Yeah. And say, did you just see a blah, blah? Right. And they'd be like, yeah, I did. Or they're sworn to secrecy. And that's the end of that. Yeah, if somebody knows, yeah, they're sworn to secrecy or whatnot. Kind of like the whole, um, and I wonder why there's not more on this except for shows, but the the Battle of Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. I mean, you throw a movie about it, it becomes Mm sci-fi. But that really did happen. Yeah. What was there? And these guys that told their stories about it were like this, man. This wasn't just, did we just see something fly by? Uh, no, I mean, it was an actual, they were launching rounds and stuff at in the sky that just that never hit anything. Oh, yeah. In Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Nobody else. And it was on the cover of the LA Times. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else like heard this, went out. I mean, come on. You, you do that now, everybody's going to be talking about it. It's kind of funny. It just kind of just went away. Yeah. Not that it didn't happen. I'm just saying it's like, why? Yeah, stop talking about it. Stop talking stop about it. Stop reporting on it. Do you think the military tells them, hey, shh, can't say this stuff? Oh, well, I, I think if the newspaper is bought up by, you know, people that can shut it down, they can shut it down. The editor works for the millionaire, you know what I mean? Or the billionaire who who owns all the radio stations and newspapers. So they put out what they want. Now, yeah, the, yeah, that makes sense. The... Um, have you ever heard of the rock apes from Vietnam? Rock ape stories. No. Wait, I want to say I 
I don't want to make myself sound foolish, but maybe, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Tell me. Okay, I'll just do one. Okay. So an incident occurred in 1966 in a location known as Hill 868 in uh, Kuan Nam Province, the home of several rock ape sightings throughout the war. In this account, a Marine unit was reporting to their captain that they had spotted movement in the brush, which they assumed was being caused by Viet Cong. The captain told his unit over the radio not to fire not long after the unit reported back rather that it wasn't Viet Cong. They were being summoned by hairy bipedal humanoid creatures. They were being surrounded. I'm sorry. Wow. Not summoned. The captain told the unit that rather than firing on the creatures, they should instead throw rocks. However, this backfired as the creatures began throwing the rocks back at them. At this point, the Marines guessed there were hundreds of these creatures far too many, uh, an overwhelming amount for them to, you know, kill them off. They started firing. So the Marines were told to change tactics and use their bayonets to fight the creatures. Realize that these, the captain's just giving them orders over the radio. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's easy to do. Soon after the order was given, the captain heard over the radio, what sounded to him like an epic battle. Afterwards, men were sent out to investigate. The location was covered with injured but not dead Marines, as they might be expected, but also allegedly the bodies of several rock apes. This became known as the Battle of Don Den, though the only evidence of this event and the dead rock ape bodies littering the battlefield seems to be eyewitness accounts as most alleged cryptid sightings. But um, so this guy... uh, his he came up with a, a bunch of stories, very crazy GI, strange but true stories of the Vietnam War. Um, the author of this, so you can look that book up. But he has all story weird stories, not just rock apes. But yeah, um, he closes said, uh, "What makes the recorded sightings of rock apes unique is that these accounts are generally published in books." about the Vietnam conflict that feature veterans recounting their experiences and not in books on cryptozoology or the supernatural. Wow. You know, that makes it even cooler, you know, more, you know, believable even, you know, because they're just, this is what happened when we were over there, you know, and there's, there's multiple stories about the rock apes. Okay. So I, I can say, no, I've never heard of that. That's not what I was thinking, but that's cool. Yeah. But you, you said it a while ago. It's, it's the the papers and whatnot. Who funds them? Kind of like in science, they'll find whoever in researching and whoever's funding them wants mm-hmm. them to find. Right. Yeah. And discover. What or it doesn't matter if you want the money. You get a you get to not do this, but you get to do this. Exactly. You want a career, you get to do this, but not this. Same thing maybe here. Well, same thing with doctors too. Yeah, you know, maybe the military too. You want to promote? You'll mm-hmm. say this, because before it became, as they say, and I'm air quoting, unclassified. You believed in UFOs. You also wore a foil hat. You also did this. You were crazy. All of a sudden, the news says, "All right, the government says they do exist." Mm-hmm. We've just been waiting. All of a sudden, now everybody's on the bandwagon. Well, I've been seeing them too. Well, were you really? Do you-, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just have a hard time believing. Uh, bandwagon information seekers well speaking of ufos the he had a story in uh, tales from the grid square russian armed forces i was like oh cool i want to hear that so 
A story from my uncle who was in the Red Army. He was from Uzbekistan, but was conscripted and stationed in Siberia back when it was under the USSR. My uncle was tasked to work at a radar station. Basically, this turned out to be the most desolate and boring assignment possible. Nothing ever happened there, and there was literally nothing in the sky. One day, late in the winter, he suddenly starts getting contacts on his radar. He started. <clears throat> he's startled as he's never seen anything out there before. He starts getting more and more contacts on the screen and begins to think to himself, holy F, it's happening. Dozens and dozens more ships begin to appear, and everyone in the station begins to fear this is the beginning of the end. He tries to make contact on the open mic radio and demands identification. At first, there's nothing. Then a scratchy response. It's a voice, but too distorted to be anything human. And this is what it says. We are unseen. We go where we wish. No borders hold us. Then silence. All the blips vanish from the screen all at once. It was as if they were never there to begin with. Wow. That's in Russia? Yeah. That's cool. That's creepy. I, we are unseen. We go where we wish. No, bo- no borders hold us. I'm like, yeah. It's like a demon. Demon. You just gave the perfect description of what a demon can do. and Yeah, and he said, it's a voice, but it's too distorted to be anything human. Unseen. Go where we wish. No borders. Yep. Dang. I was like, that kind of gave me a creepy... Why yeah. something like that never happened to me? <laughs> well, I wouldn't want it to happen to me. I don't want to talk to him. I'd be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Man, no fence, no board, nothing? Okay, no. just checking. Man, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. In Russia. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, I was looking at different stories of things that I was looking more from the angle of, uh, there was some, some articles on pivotal moments in history that changed ways wars turned out. If something else would have been done, if the wrong order would have been given, or not wrong, the a different order, mm, like an alternate, how would it change history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was, uh, and you can go off on these rabbit trails forever. Like, what if this happened? Well, yeah, then this would happen. What would have, how would have changed the outcome and our our futures in this? And the, the one of the most in- interesting ones that I found. Have you ever heard of? Uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina. Mm-mm. In, uh, is it in 1961, January 24th, a Boeing B-52 uh, Stratofortress fell apart, flying over Goldsboro, North Carolina. Crashed. The guy says eject. Some ejected, several ejected, one passed, two crashed with the, the plane. What was on the plane was nuclear bombs. They didn't detonate. When they went to get them, one safety switch would have, should, would have been hit. Boom. For North Carolina. Oh, wow. I never heard of that. I thought, that is so crazy cool. It had two 3.8 megaton Mark 39 nuclear bombs on it. And upon the declassified inf- information, they since 2013, they've just recently came out with saying that uh, one of the bombs was judged by nuclear weapons engineers at the time to have only one safety switch away from detonation and it being credible to imagine conditions under which it would have been detonated. So it should have blown up. 
mm-hmm. two of them. I mean, it would have been like Hiroshima, Nagasaki, in North Carolina, yeah. and all this rally area and stuff. There, I guess the 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 distance that they can blow up to me wasn't as far as I used to think. I used to thought I thought can't speak today. I used to think that it would blow up and everything was annihilated. Mm-hmm. And it's cut several miles, but it doesn't cover what we would think on we see on TV. Yeah, you know. They drop one right in the United States, and it just obliterates the whole country. That's right. not how that works. Yeah. The radiation travels, and it affects people. But in right here in North Carolina, right in our own backyard, we drop two of them on our own people and on they accident. Ha- they have, like, multiple uh, safety switches, and they all, all of them broke or went off except for one. There was yeah. one left. One of the bombs was just one safety switch away from being active to detonate. Wow. I guess it in the rubble it got hit. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, they started flipping the yeah. switches like clink clunk, and yeah. then that last one was like, oh no, I'll hold. I mean, you got some guy maybe joined the military. He's 18 and he's in charge of this, and he's probably you know just not loading this stuff up. Mm-hmm. You know, could care less. Hits a switch or two or two, three. <laughs> I mean, how careful are they with this stuff? I mean, and it wasn't like, oh man, I crashed because I can't fly or storms just fell apart. Mm-hmm. The thing fell the apart. Fell, or the, the plane, plane fell apart. It just blew. It just fell apart, crashed, and they're like, uh-oh. I mean, were these guys, what were they thinking? I wish I could find their stories of what they were thinking as they were parachuting, going, oh, man, here we go. Boom goes our... our Dynamite. <laughs> our <laughs> East Coast. <laughs> it's gone. But how would it have changed things? This is 61. How yeah. would it have changed? Well, there wouldn't be a Billy Graham resort there. Are oh, you familiar with the area? North Carolina, I went there. But um, that where they're talking about here in uh, Goldsboro? No. I'm sure it's very pretty. Yeah, saw. yeah. So it, it'd be sad. Mm-hmm. It'd be bad. But it, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do with something? I wonder how many things like that happen. Yeah, like what if um, the uh, – what if America didn't bomb their own country, you know, in – the Twin Towers. We went, went to war, and how differently would have it been? How much more freedoms would have we had? Yeah, it changed everything. <laughs> you know, it, it, but it's like saying, man, the attack came from, you know, Bubba just <laughs> didn't tighten just up like Just like the new one in Jerusalem, or was it in uh, Israel? Right. Like they bombed their own country and blame it on the Palestinians. And Ooh, we're going to have to talk about Mossad. that one, huh? Is that who they have, Mossad? Is that the, the Jewish... Uh, Elite force. I think so. Yeah. I mean, they can't get us to go to war in Ukraine, so let's start another one. So you think it started there? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. like, it's just uh, they want us to go to war so bad because this is the way it seems to me. Flood it with people that are used to being dominated. Okay. So we got all these illegals coming over that are, right. you do this and we'll give you that. Okay, I'll do that. And then you start a war and you send out all the men and women who are freedom fighters and who've grown up in this country. Yeah. Send them off, kill them off. Now you, you got a whole country filled with milk toast, spineless yes men and women. That's interesting. We're going to have to come back to that topic. Discuss. That's a good one. I like that. Well, we will end it on this. The Mongolian Death Worm. 
<laughs> I never heard of this one either. Go this ahead. is this is a good one. I liked it. It's another Russian one. Another training exercise. I was one of I I was one with the Mongolian and Kazakhstani army. I'm pretty much walking around a desert for a month and wondering when I would die of heat stroke. There was a point where our groups were walking around these pumice sandstone hills. If you don't know pumice, it's very poor stone with natural holes showing through. And after enough time, these holes get big enough to fit a small man or a large dog. I was on night watch behind a cord machine gun. We had these giant IR thermals attached to them. I was scanning terrain. When I see what appears to be a thermal image resembling one of those inflatable tube men, the kind you see at used car lots. It's about 100 meters out on the slope of a hill. I blink and close my eyes. When I open them, I still see this thing moving from side to side, just like one of those inflatable tube men, but with no arms. I turned on the floodlight attached to the cord, and I saw for a split second this massive effing caterpillar. It was about the size of a house. It's poking out one of these large holes in the pumice, and it slinks back down after I shine the light on it. I remember in vivid detail what this thing looked like. It was the same amber color as a cockroach, and I counted eight limbs from what I saw. I can only guess it was maybe a quarter of the full length of this thing sticking out of the hole. Its face looked exactly like a wood grub. I shouted in legitimate surprise, and I hear something behind me. I turn around, and a Kazakh soldier had been watching me. He promptly explained I had seen a Mongolian death worm. To be honest, I have no explanation for what I, I could have seen otherwise. That's cool. Recent. How know? recent? Uh, say? No. I heard him talk about this one on his podcast and it was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, it was in our, you know, 20 years. Really? You know, it was a recent story and I'm like, that reminded me of tremors. Oh, see that. that Kevin Bacon movie. Yeah, you know, the thing going through there and that's, I'm like, that's better. But, but that's where it ends. And I'm like, well, I want to know, did you ask him if the Mongolian death worm can eat people? Does it eat? Horses. I'm the like, does people it? stick their head down in the hole and go, "Hey, what's down here?" And they get their head bit off. You know, <laughs> I like the trimmers reference. You know what I was thinking? What pixels with Adam Sandler? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> video game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. I got it way wrong. That's mm -hmm. way better. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I like that one. I like that. Good stories. I like that. I'm gonna have to borrow this book from you when you're. Oh done. yeah, yeah, for you sure. Can borrow it. But I'll put that in the notes if anybody's interested in Tales from the Grid Square. Go to uh, Tales from the Grid Square on any of the podcast apps. You should be able to find it. Nick Orton has books out. Uh, get volume one. And until next time, I'm Andy. And I'm Joe. Joe.